Welcome to the Rising Warrior Podcast. We are here to provide a holistic approach to the betterment of warriors, helping warriors bridge the gap in their healing journey, find themselves, find who they truly are, and provide tools to help themselves and in turn help others. We are here to break the mold and discuss what it takes to thrive in life. So, let's rise above together. Today we have the opportunity to talk with Jared Reinhardt, who is the head integration coach with Heroic Harvest Projects. Jared served as a Marine Infantry machine gunner and later become a private military contractor. After his time in service, he suffered from deep feelings of anxiety, depression, and unmanageable anger. Something in him felt stuck and he needed new tools to help him move freely in this world again. With the help of Ayahuasca and the people at the Healing Center in Peru, he was given those tools. Throughout today's episode, we dive into this journey with Jared as he shares his trials and tribulations. So if you find any of this episode entertaining, interesting, or valuable, please share so that this information can get into the hands of those who need it. Thank you and enjoy the show. Jared, thanks for coming on. Um, people just keep lining up for our ayahuasca series. And I, I have a feeling like at one point, we're just going to have to say stop and we'll just, whoever the hell wants to come on, we'll have come on. Um, so you got put in contact with us through um, a fellow friend and you're the lead integrating coach for Heroic Hearts, correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. This is going to be a good conversation. And before we get into all the good stuff about ayahuasca, I want to start about with uh, your background in the military. What did you do? Um, what was your experience like in the military? And then the the ubiquitous, how was your transition out of the military into mm -hmm. the civilian world? Um, so thanks for being on. And I want to hear the background a little bit. So I was, uh, I was in the Marine Corps for five years. Uh, I got out as a, as a corporal and then got actually promoted as a sergeant during that, like, you know, that transition time out when I had like that PCS leave, uh, which I thought was hilarious because um, what was the point of becoming a sergeant before, like when I had like 30 days before I was getting out, but you know, infinite wisdom of in the Marine Corps. Uh, More disability. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It did it, it help my, it could help my disability uh, rating go up. So it's, it's better. And also for the BAH for college and stuff, it was better. Um, when I was in the Marine Corps, I actually did two different jobs. I was in the infantry for the last part of it. And then in the beginning of it, I was in security forces. And during that time, that was uh, 2006 to 2007 or eight. And during that time, actually, I felt pretty cheated about being in because I wanted to be uh, in the infantry. I wanted to be in, in the shit with my friends. I had, mm -hmm. a, I had a lot of good friends that were downrange getting into it and also some friends that didn't come back. And so I, uh, I, was, I was pretty upset about being stuck stateside guarding uh, special assets for the United States government. And uh, because I had a, a clean record and, you know, and could pass some higher tests than other, than other people at the time. So that, that kind of bothered me. So then I got, uh, I got after my, my two years in security forces, I got sent to uh, Echo 27, which is in 29 Palms, California, you know, beautiful 29 Palms, California. And Where John uh, knows all about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that was, uh, I, I actually volunteered to go to two seven cause they had gone on back to back deployments. They were, they had just gotten back from a pretty horrendous deployment in Afghanistan in, in 07. 
Um, and they, uh, they, their main job out there at that time was to, to secure the whole Southern half of Af- of Afghanistan and the Helmand province. Mm. And they had, they had no support. They, they basically were relieving the British Royals because it was right after we started getting out of Iraq and everything else. So these guys came back, you know, really, really messed up in a sense. They had, they had over 150 casualties. Most of them were, were wow. w- double amputees. They had 18 <sighs> killed. Like these guys were messed up. They were undersupplied. They were all this other stuff. So me being a boot, being a guy who really wanted to get into it, I was just chewing on these war stories. Right. So I got in and then a little to my surprise, uh, my deployment when I was in the Marine Corps was going to be on the 31st Mew. So a nice little booze cruise uh, across the the Pacific. So I was pretty butthurt as an infantryman who joined to fight after 9-11 and everything else and then didn't get my opportunity to in the Marine Corps. Um, so I got out in 2011 after that deployment, and everything else. And to be honest, I was, um, I was not in a good place. I, and, and it was a little harder for me because I saw, I had the same issues that a lot of my friends did that were going through combat deployments and stuff, but I had no excuse. I was just angry and I was depressed and I was, I felt disconnected from, from the world. Uh, I could barely uh, hold a job. My relationships were completely failing. Um, I was going through a divorce right when I first got out. And, uh, so my main response at that point was I gotta get the fuck out of here. So, uh, after I got out of the Marine Corps and spent about a year home, uh, doing a bunch of drugs, drinking a lot, you know, doing just, just going crazy at that point, just kind of losing my shit, not, and not taking care of myself. I decided to, uh, I decided to start contracting because I just thought the only place that I felt normal was going to be with a team with a gun in my hand mm-hmm. downrange. So um, on my first contract, I went to I went to Afghanistan, and my main job was to basically guard uh, Leatherneck and certain special assets out there. And uh, that was right after the Taliban had just uh, had just invaded and mm-hmm. not invaded, but they had just pushed through and blew up all those planes on Leatherneck. So they called in some extra support from contractors. So that's why I was out there. Um, so that deployment was, or that, that contract was rather quiet. I mean, we got, you know, uh, IDF every once in a while and some pop shots over the wire, but nothing crazy. Um, and so that really started a whole new aspect for me because I was like, Oh my God, I can make a lot of money. I'm doing the same thing I was doing in the Marine Corps. Like I don't have to deal with the, the bullshit of being a civilian, like great, but uh, I was going to be gone all the time. Like uh, mm-hmm. I was in Afghanistan for that contract for a whole year. I mean, like just, and then I had a, I had, I think 15 days off. So I had 11 months on and then I took 15 days off and then went right back for the rest of the rest of that next month. And then I was gone. And then I was, I decided not to, not to stick around. So I went back home and started bouncing at strip clubs and, uh, and bars and whatnot, because that's again, something I could, I felt like I could do and uh more disconnection from people uh more more just tough guy kind of jobs and it was kind of a filler until i found another contract and and eventually i found i found another one that was in iraq and i stayed out there for about three years um on that contract and uh made some good money made some really great friends um but just uh wasn't the same and that kind of brings me to where i uh, got to ayahuasca was actually i found i found about out about ayahuasca on that contract 
uh how did you find out about ayahuasca on a contract? <laughs> that's intriguing <laughs> i want to hang out so, with those contractors yeah hold on so it sounds so it sounds like i heard about it in iraq i didn't so okay. on that contract we were on a we were on a rotation so i would go back to the states um pretty regularly probably like every four to four to six months i'd go back to the united states for about about 30 days or so and uh, during that time, my habits were just as similar as it was when I was getting out. I would drink my face off. I would do all the drugs. I would, I would do all the crazy stuff. And uh, at the time, I was dating this girl who was a psychonaut. So she was mm. really into psychedelics and also other stuff. I mean, like not just psychedelics, but she really wanted me to, to start trying things. And not in the guise of therapy, but I think more just like, we should do this. It would be fun, you know, and you might enjoy it. And I like probably most vets or, you know, everything else was pretty apprehensive of it going like, I got enough shit going on in my head. I don't want to like dance around with those demons. I already do that enough in my daily life, but, uh, but it was a good, it was a good experience every time that we did it together. So we kind of, I kind of did the, the training gambit, so to speak of psychedelics during that time when I was on that contract of I'd come home and we would talk over the internet and talk about what the next thing we're going to do is. And like, so it started with mushrooms and then we tried LSD and then, uh, and then I tried a, a couple other things and then, um, and then eventually we got to DMT and my first DMT experience was like on that on leave on that contract and it uh it was very mind-blowing as anybody who's done dmt will tell you it's it's a very very strange experience um the best way for me to describe it was i felt like i was launched out of my body uh sent into a different dimensional plane that was uh that felt like home i felt like i'd been there a lot actually it felt like i had just left there like i had uh mm. like i forgot my keys and had to go back inside kind of thing like oops i gotta go back that's what it, that's how similar and quick it felt that i had been there and done this before um and then the environment was like communicating with me um in a very loving way and it felt like the environment itself and it, and it looked like the, like a jungly watercolor weird world it's it's so hard to put into words because it's not it's not terrestrial it's not from this planet so it was uh nothing that i've never ever experienced before but it was comforting me and it felt like it was holding me like a mother would hold its baby and i was so happy to be in this place that i completely forgot that i was on a dmt experience like mm. i had no idea that I was like away from anything or, or I was like, Oh, I'm high or none of this stuff. It was, it, it was really, really wild. And then I could feel the chemical starting to wear off because it's a very quick experience. Um, and as I felt it kind of come off that reminded me, Oh yeah, I have a body and I have uh, a life and I have all this other stuff going on. And I had done a little bit of research because I never do psychedelics or any type of substance without like looking into the research about how safe it is, what the, what the reactions are, like all that kind of stuff. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to hurt myself. I, you know, I, I want to maybe have an experience, but not hurt myself. Right. So, um, a lot of people, when they have their DMT experience, they, they talk about, they see God or gods or whatever, and they get like this benevolent wisdom from them. So to me, my main intention was like, I want to see God. Like, that's why I want to go uh, smoke DMT. Like, I want to, I have some questions for this motherfucker. Like, I, I've been Dear God, I have some and questions. I, and I got to know. So 
So as soon as I realize I'm in this DMT experience, I have like all these questions that start pouring out of my psyche into like the ether of this, of this, like this plane that I'm in and this, uh, and the, the entity, so to speak, it felt like it was smiling and kind of like giggling at me. And it said, listen, we don't have time. So if you want your, if you want your questions answered, you need to go to the jungle. And then I woke up and, uh, I had no idea what to do with that. I was very confused, uh, but also very like in a big joyful state. So I looked at my girlfriend at the time and I was like, I told her about what happened. And, and I said, I didn't get any of my questions answered. Like I wanted to, but it told me to go to the jungle. And then she goes, Oh, that's where ayahuasca is. And she had known about it. And I had heard about it from watching that documentary from Joe Rogan a long, long time ago, you know, the DMT documentary, <laughs> Yeah, um, it was horrible. but it was, but it was briefly talked about. It was like, here's another way you can do this. And I was like, and I remember telling my friend at the time when I was watching that documentary, I was like, I might try DMT one day, but I'll never do ayahuasca. That does not. <laughs> DMT like, the spirit molecule. I think that's the one you're. Yeah. 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 And they talk and they just talked about how, like, you know, how not fun the experience is. Like, it's not like uh, rolling around with your friends in the basement, having a good time. It's, it's a lot of work. And, and I was like, that does not sound like a good time for me. Like, I don't want to do that. So little did I know that was basically a calling for me. So I went back to Iraq and then just dove into research about ayahuasca. And this was in 2016. And at that time, there was still limited information about ayahuasca on the internet. Like there wasn't, it, like if you go online now and type in ayahuasca, you can probably oh, yeah. find hundreds of hours mm -hmm. of trip reports and science and all this stuff. I was getting like a few YouTube videos that were like, some people had made like very, shorthand uh documentaries about their experience and this and that so i kind of felt a bit unsure about it but i was like okay i'm gonna go find a legit place that has good reviews and and go there and i'm gonna pay for my girlfriend and i to go uh because i want like i said i had these questions i needed answered but through that process of learning about ayahuasca when i was out there like diving through the internet there was all these people talking about how it was life-changing and I was like, I've done psychedelics. It wasn't that life-changing for me. Like it was a wild experience, but it, you know, it, I just got fucked up. Like that's how I felt about it. I was like, I just got really messed up with my friends. Like that was a weird experience. And, um, and so people were saying, Oh man, it's a really life-changing experience. And, you know, and I was like, okay, so this is the thing that I'm looking for. Like people are talking about meeting the divine meeting, meeting the other, whatever that is like. So I was like, okay. So the one thing I was hearing a lot about was people were saying like, Oh, ayahuasca told me to eat better and to not do negative substances or any of the other stuff. So I was like, I was smoking cigarettes at the time. I drank a lot. I was doing, and I didn't really work out as much as I probably should have. So when I was in Iraq, I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to have that. So I quit smoking and I started working out every day. I started meditating, started doing all this stuff for like two months prior to it. And this was that military mindset of like, I'm preparing to go on a deployment. Like, here's the stuff I'm going to do. Um, and it was, it was a rather, uh, it, and I didn't give it credit at the time. Like when I got done with ayahuasca, I was like, oh man, completely life-changing, but I didn't put myself in the shoes of, I did a whole lifestyle change for two months while I was in Iraq. I went to a vegan diet. I went to, uh, I'm not a vegan. I just went to that time as a vegan diet. Um, during then, a deployment. Yeah. During a deployment. Well, I mean, like wow. we had a, that's we had impressive. A hall, we had a chow hall on a contract. So it was, and to be honest, it was, um, 
it was hard because most of the food that I could pick from was like steamed vegetables and a salad pretty much every day. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, there were so definitely some moments when I was really upset because they had like some fried chicken or something else that I really wanted. And I was like, man, I really want this. But I was so <laughs> terrified because there wasn't a lot of information mm -hmm. about the diet. I was like, I don't want to fuck this up. Like, I don't mm -hmm. want to mess this experience up. Like, I want to get the most out of it that I can. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, no masturbation, no, no porn, no, no like nasty food and no alcohol was easy out there because I was in Iraq. So you had to really, really look for it if you wanted it as a contractor. Like, it's not like you couldn't get it, but it was, it was hard to find. So I just basically was drinking water all the time eating nothing but vegan food, working out every day, meditating twice a day. Uh, and I never meditated before. I had to find an app to show me, you know, like, uh -huh. so I was like, okay, how do I like, but this was the, this was all the stuff that I figured out that people said helps. And I had had enough big experience with psychedelics, knowing that like, this is huge. Like, this is something that I can't, um, I can't control. I just kind of have to surf on. I have to use it like the ocean in a sense. I can't control the ocean. I have to learn to swim in it. So I try to find the tactics that would help me. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's in a, in a nutshell, how I found out about ayahuasca when I was out there, it was kind of like um, a slow process of, of learning about it. Some people hear it from a podcast now, or some people hear it from a, you know, a friend or some people hear it uh, and they hear like, one of the things I like to do is uh, I just like to say the word ayahuasca and look at how people respond. Some people give me like an eyebrow and I don't really say much about it, but then I know they're going to go home and Google it. And then they're going to find out for themselves. <laughs> so, so you heard about ayahuasca from DMT basically. Yeah. I, I mean, like you heard about ayahuasca from ayahuasca's yeah, brother. I mean, like, but I did, but I did, there was, it was kind of drip fed into my consciousness because I was, you know, doing psychedelics with my girlfriend and I had watched those documentaries about DMT and stuff beforehand. And while I was researching DMT, ayahuasca was talked about, but not much. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to give it completely to the medicine, you know, to the DMT that told me. But yes, in a sense, like this entity told me to go to the jungle and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go. Mm. that's wow. fascinating wow. that's, that's so awesome cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's 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 a it's wild for me it doesn't even sound real to me it sounds it sounds like bullshit but it's it's just how it went well i mean there's been a common thread from all the podcasts we've done and that is and, and guys if i if i'm not remembering correctly please let me know but everyone that we've talked to about uh yeah, how they found ayahuasca, like most actually weren't in a place of like, I need to be healed. And so like, that's why they went looking for it. It was like through the grapevine, they heard in a conversation or like I, I shared on like in my story, like mine kind of popped up in, on Facebook because I was getting to my whole spiritual journey. And so it's like I started seeing some stuff through that lens. But yeah, that's super cool, especially to to be in the position that you were and then to still choose to like go down there. Like I, I it's hard for me to imagine like getting off a deployment granted being in the military it's obviously a little bit different but like either way like being overseas in that situation and then hearing about it be like i'm gonna go do that like i would have been very very skeptical so kudos to you <laughs> yeah um yeah i i was a bit skeptical but i i i totally um i I mean, like, I was like, I have the money. It's going to be a cool adventure, like uh, all this other stuff at the time. And, and like you said, I wasn't in, I wasn't looking for healing. Like I thought I was fine. Like, even though I was, even though I was angry all the time and I was in a combat arms industry and like, I'd come home and I'd start fights with people and like all this stuff. Like I just was not a, I, I felt like I was completely okay, but 
again, the influences of the people I was around, that was also who I was hanging out with guys who were just as dysfunctional as me. And I don't know if you guys remember back in 2016, there was this big dysfunctional veteran, like a thing that was going around, like, Oh yeah. Like dysfunctional, like being like the angry vet. Like that was, that was a part of our image. Like you were like, yeah, that means I'm, I'm normal. Like I'm, I'm being okay. As a <laughs> like, I'm not sure that it's gone away, but I, I, I remember the, like when it started. Yeah. People started like, like, you know, chest beating about it. I was like, what? That's not supposed to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just starting out. I was like a year and a half into my, my career at the time when that stuff kind of started coming out. Yeah. Um, it's uh, and it, yeah, I agreed. Like, uh, at first I, I dove into it, but it wasn't until I got some clarity when I looked around and was like, you're representing veterans. Like, come on, man. Like I'm, I, yeah. I'm a part of that group and I don't want to be looked at as a guy who's a dysfunctional asshole. You know, yeah, it's like, one of the reasons why we actually are, are curious, you know, for our audience that's listening, like, do you even identify as a veteran? Uh, because of, of, if that's the, the sort of singular, cultural uh, narrative right now um where are the people who are just like hey i serve but i'm not about any of that shit um I'm, yeah i'm kind of curious like what what people are out there uh how they self-identify and if they don't resonate with it what are they actually identifying with if, if at all yeah is, uh, something we've been asking I, um, around i went through a period where i didn't want to identify as a veteran yeah. And I stopped wearing my veteran shirts. I stopped wearing my contracting clothes. I stopped even telling people I was in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny thing about the the universe is, is it doesn't want me to forget. Like, yep. Um, uh-huh. Same. And, and it wants me to integrate that back into my life. It doesn't want yep. me to just pretend like it didn't yep. happen. Yep. Uh-huh. So I, uh, so I, I still identify as a veteran and I'm very proud to be a veteran. I'm very proud to be a part of the Marine Corps, even though I felt like my Marine Corps experience uh, was not full of uh, brotherhood and, um, you know, adventure or whatever I was looking for, like my high expectations that I had when I joined. Mm-hmm. Um, I identify actually, I think more now as a vet because I can, I, I feel like I can show people that it's not just this over here or that over here. And actually, I like it when people find out that I was a Marine, because a lot of times people say, you're, you were a Marine. Yep. Most Marines I met were ass or assholes. Yep. No. And, and I go, yeah, yeah, they are. And you know, like, <laughs> True story. So it's, it's not a, it's not a lie. Like it's just we're, we're confident, you know, uh, over, overconfident at times. And that can rub people the wrong way. And usually if you're not a Marine, uh, it's kind of like the, the old CrossFitter thing. If you, if they're a Marine, they'll let you know. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, but it's one of those, I, um, I actually enjoy it because to me, I can, I, I still identify as a veteran. I still, I still kind of do that in my whole life. Like where, what I'm doing for work now with Royal Carts, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for me being a veteran, I wouldn't have got to this place in my life, like without being in the military. So mm-hmm. it's, it really is a huge cornerstone in my life that uh, to deny would really be denying a big part of, uh, of the storyline. So there was yeah. a period when I, when I definitely swung the pendulum hard the other direction and didn't want yeah. to talk about it, but that wasn't doing anything for me. It actually made things uh, worse because I was pushing it away. And to me that still get it's, I still got me if I'm pushing it away. Yeah. That's a uh, really interesting. You say that because we've, as we've learned, as I've learned definitely over the last couple of years that um, rebelling against something just co- just continues to energize it. It doesn't actually, yes. you're still in the paradigm if you're considering yourself to be in rebellion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same reason why like 
uh, you know, we we don't have to go down this road, but you know, uh, left versus right, uh, Democrat versus Republican, this team yep. versus that team, it it actually creates energy. You literally, I remember one of the things that uh, was really clear was um, when the UFC. I'm not a really big UFC fan, but I remember this when the UFC started growing because McGregor was such a fucking like like uh, uh, larger than life individual. And every time there was a fight, it was like three months of like fighting over, you know, <laughs> talking shit up until the fight. And you'd be like, oh my God, he created conflict all the time to bring in more eyes so people would be more interested. So to, to bring that into a tangible uh, sense for us as veterans, if you're out there rebelling, you're just creating more of it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I hundred percent agree. I I've, I've learned this in my life too, is that like, if I'm, if you're fighting against it, you're still in the fight. Right. Like the, the only way to, the only way to make the energy of it like reduce is to cut your energy off from it. And that doesn't mean be blind to it. That doesn't mean like bury right. your head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist. No, but it also means like if someone's bringing up something that has nothing to do with you or has something and they're trying to pull you into their thing, mm -hmm. um, you have the conscious choice of like, cutting your energy from it being like i don't know what you, i don't know anything about this man or like i don't have an opinion yeah. about this mm -hmm. or or even giving your two cents like uh i don't i don't want to go against this because going against this is just as much going into it and giving energy like um mm -hmm. we talk about this with like the the got the shooters that we, we we don't want shooters like negative like uh, school shooters for instance to be mm -hmm. famous mm -hmm. right? right like these mm -hmm. people who do this horrendous stuff but then the media talks about those plaster people, them. Yeah, yeah. Plasters them all over as a way to try to damn that person. But by damning them, you're just building more energy as opposed to just not acknowledging it at all. Just being like, fuck that guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if people, people have this as some, or belief that in, if I can, if I shame them, that they will change because I shame them, mm -hmm. that they will feel the shame and then change because of that. Mm -hmm. And it's literally the opposite. You shame somebody and people are gonna be like, yeah, fuck you then. And they're mm -hmm. going to continue to create that thing, which um, in a way is exactly what we learned in the military. Like, and, and I, I, I want to ask you a little bit more about ayahuasca and how this, all these things have been revealed to you in this journey. Um, um, because one of the things that we have had a lot of conversations with, with veterans, with especially <laughs> Marines for sure, is uh, the idea of uh, the, your training on treating the enemy as this thing that you need to defeat is also the same thing that happens in your brain when you're treating your emotions, your sensations, uh, all those psychological and psychoemotional things that are happening with you as battles. Mm -hmm. um, you're just energizing it. And so if you keep calling it a battle, it's going to keep feeling like a battle. And so we, we often bring up that thing. It's like, hey, why don't you just call it a part of yourself that you can see and accept and love rather mm -hmm. than hating, trying to fight it, trying to win. People are always trying to win a fight against themselves, which is like, <laughs> mm -hmm. you're never going to do it. You're not going to transcend by winning. Right, exactly. Um, so how did uh, ayahuasca, uh, to go back to what you were saying earlier, open the door for you to start seeing some of the things that you'd been avoiding it sounded like the dieta was already leading you in that direction by by literally focusing your attention. It How did was. that break through in that first uh, journey? So, um, to be honest, my first like getting to ayahuasca was also very hard. Like, um, there was a lot of stuff in my life that just started kind of falling apart. 
And this is something I see pretty normal with, uh, with ayahuasca. One of the things that I tell my clients is, is as soon as you accept that the ceremony is going to happen, it begins. So whether or not you, it's months out or weeks out, as soon as you're going, yep, I'm going to ceremony, it starts because your mind starts to really dive into what's going to happen. How can I do this? Well, it just starts going into the ceremony. So your intentions start to start to kind of become fluid for you to see them. So um, when I first got to Peru, my uh, my first experience, actually, I was really into uh, Norse theology at that time. I had like I had ravens on my on my flak jacket and stuff. I was really into uh, to praying to the old gods and all this other stuff. I was wanting to die in battle, like all this stuff. So when I got down there, I like drew an all helm on my forehead and like went in and did did some prayers beforehand and went into this experience as if I was going into a battle. You know, like I thought I was going to go battle my demons. Right. And my first experience was very light. Um, I actually had to drink another cup because I was like, I'm not feeling much, but I was pretty accepting of it going like, well, if this is what it is, then cool. Like. I, then I, I thought I was building up to be something way more than it was. And they were like, no, no, it's not subtle. So you should drink more. So I, I had a little bit more. And then once that happened, I, um, I had this image of a really, really gigantic snake, like, uh, coming out of the darkness from behind my eyes. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. The snake. Off. You're being called from from the subconscious. So I was uh, so I so this snake was coming out of the ether in my in my behind my eyes. And and it and I got this vision of like a big mansion. And I knew that that mansion represented me like that was Jared. Like that was uh, this this house was me. And I saw this snake moving through these hallways, like these endless hallways, with all these doors and stuff. And as it would come to these doors, it would kind of pop into the doorway. And as it would go in there, I would feel something release. Like I'd be like, oh, and it would feel really good. But then there were then there were times when it like hit a door and the door would be locked. And and then I would immediately feel tension in my body and a resistance and anger. And I would just be like, mm, and I would get really, really upset. And it was funny because it sounded like this snake was talking to me in like this feminine voice. And it was like, well, we'll get to that one later. And then it would go to another one and it would go to another one. And then it would open this up. And I, and I had a really great night with my first experience of ayahuasca. I, was, I, I went and sat outside, looked at the moonlight. Um, I felt a lot of like acceptance and love. Um, but once again, I was like, okay, this reminds me of kind of like a mushroom experience, but a little different because something else seems to be driving the ship here. And I've never really, what felt like I shared my consciousness with another uh, conscious being is what it felt like. It, it was very strange. It was like, uh, and I've never experienced this before. Because the first thing I recognized when I, when I first started really feeling the ayahuasca was it greeted me. It was like, hello. Like I could hear like an audible <laughs> hello in my head. And I was like, um, hello. And, and we started communicating, like talking, like uh, through thoughts. And it was very, it was very weird, but psychedelics are weird. So I, you know, kind of just went with it and, and went from there. So the second ceremony, because we had four uh, at this retreat, and the second ceremony that I had was not that way. And actually that first ceremony, ayahuasca, and I'll, I apologize if this sounds too woo-woo for everybody, but ayahuasca Send told it. me. 
that uh that the next ceremony was going to be very uh was going to be a bit harder <laughs> not like oh it's going to be really tough jared i was like this one next one be prepared it's not going to be it's not going to be as easy as this one i was like oh okay so i went in still expecting the same thing like okay it's going to be a bit of a fight but this is uh this this medicine doesn't want to hurt me like it's not it's not there to you know hurt like destroy me or anything um and then i had that second ceremony and that second ceremony to be honest um i died uh, in a very horrendous, awful way. Um, and I don't mean like a, in a physical way, like rip from limb from limb or anything else. I mean, like it went, it shoved my consciousness to the end of the universe, showed me that I'm not who I think I am, like separated me from my sense of self. And then like watched my, my ego or who I thought I was kind of dance into these things. Like it was making fun of my military careers, making fun of how tough I thought I was, it was just doing all these things. And I knew that like, I'm here, there's Jared. So who am I? Like, who is this? Like, so if that's, if that's who I think I am, then who am I really? And that spiraled me out. And at the same time, like ayahuasca then showed me past lives and a bunch of stuff that was like, just way out of my, out of my concept. And was even telling me like, you wanted to know what ayahuasca was. You had all these questions. Here's your answers. And I didn't want to accept them. It was all resistance that night. I mean, like I was fighting. I had never felt so much rage in my life. And I later now know that when you're feeling emotions like that in ayahuasca, a lot of that's just cleaning them out. So I had a lot of stored up anger that was just being like shoved out of me. And I had to feel anger to, in order to get rid of anger. Amazing, right? You want to feel to, to heal. So Crazy this is what it is. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I was floored. Like after that, I mean, like I could barely walk. I was, uh, I was very weak. I, I, I felt like Neo when he woke up from the matrix going like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Like I was, uh, in, in lots of vomiting, lots of, I mean, it was just a very, very tough experience. And, uh, and even to, to put it into words, doesn't do it justice because it was so, um, so intense and so unreal. Um, I didn't know how I was going to do the next two. I was like, how the hell am I going to go through that again? Um, and it, uh, so I went back to my room and took a shower and basically slept it off. And that night I had some pretty horrendous nightmares that were basically continuing on from the ceremony. And, uh, on the third ceremony, which was, uh, we took a break and then we had another day for the ceremony. And then on that third ceremony, I really went into it looking for a fight at that point. I was like, okay, now I'm prepared for this. Like we can do this. So I, I drink my cup, I sit down and I have this image of this woman sitting in this dark room, like sitting in the Lotus position, just kind of sitting there. And so I, in my consciousness is, am running over to this woman and just yelling at her saying, like, let's go, bitch. You want to fuck with me? Like, blah, blah, blah. And, and she just sat there and sat there and sat there and sat there. And this is when she showed me what we just were talking about, about giving things energy. She showed me how to surrender mm. by surrendering to me. Like she surrendered to my ego until basically I got worn out. And then I just, I just eventually sat down and, and surrendered to the experience. And then I got a lot of wonderful information about like uh, life and personal, personal affection and love for self and how, all of this uh, that I think is going on is bullshit. So stop taking it so seriously. Like, <laughs> like, like everything that you think is happening is actually just a concept in your mind. So just let that go. Like, and and be a little bit more open-minded because you don't know what's going on. And and so that uh, 
that after that night, it was really, we, we all kind of rolled around and had a really great time that night, uh, you know, laughing and talking about how it's all bullshit and how everything's, you know, wonderful and beautiful and stuff. Um, and, and the fourth night was, uh, was, was pretty similar. It was, it was basically like, um, I got a, I got some deep philosophy about, about life more like downloaded, not really like taught to like lectured to, I kind of like sat there and it, and that didn't really appear to me until uh, later in integration, like what that stuff was that got downloaded to me. And it, um, it showed me that I um, first, the biggest thing was it told me you're not who you think you are. And, and that left me questioning, like, well, I got to figure out who I am now. And, and that put me on a whole journey of its own, like trying to figure out who is this and anybody I think I am is not really who I think I am. It's not really that. So it led me down a whole nother spiritual path in my life. Um, but the one thing that I did go in that last ceremony was, was should I go back to my job in Iraq? Like, I definitely didn't want to, to be in a place where I wanted to hurt people anymore. I don't know where that came from. I wasn't against violence. I still saw the understanding and reason for it, but I didn't, I just didn't feel the calling to, to want to hurt anybody anymore. After I had been humbled so, so much from those ceremonies, like I've been, I had been like ripped apart. I thought to myself, if anybody has experienced that kind of emotional pain before, I don't ever want to be the person that gives them more of it. Like, I was just like, after I experienced that, like, I never, ever wanted anybody to feel the way I did that night. I was like, never. So if someone is going through even a 10th of that, I want to do what I can to relieve that suffering instead of add more to it. So I didn't know if I was going to go back to Iraq or not. And that, that last ceremony, I, I even asked, I was like, should I go back to Iraq? And she's like, you'll know what to do. And that, you know, frustrated me because I wanted a direct <laughs> answer. She's like, you'll figure it out. You know what to do. And, and so who said that Iowa or yeah, the ayahuasca said that. Okay. ayahuasca said this to me, I was like, so I don't know what to do about my job. Like, is it a good career path for me? Like, it's, it's the only thing I know right now. It's where I live, all this other stuff. And she's just like, you'll know what to do. Don't worry about it. Like, stop, stop taking it so seriously, Jared. It's not a big deal. Like, uh, so, so I came to the conclusion that like, well, I, I got to at least go back. I had, uh, I had been prepping for a couple months and been talking to my team about it for those couple months, like every kind of new research I would find, I would talk to them about DMT or I talked to them about, you know, psychedelics or this and that. And they were all pretty open to it, but still like, all right, man. But I think more curious because someone was going to actually do it instead of just like talk about it. So they were really curious to hear about like what my experience was. So mm. that really drove me to want to go back and at least, at least update my friends on like what, mm -hmm. what had happened. And then I'd kind of make my decision from there. And, um, and, and to be honest, it was a bubble of its own. So I didn't have to like jump right back into the temptations of being back in the States, like with the junk food and the drinking and the, and the sex and the drugs and all this other stuff that was like right in my face. I could go back to my bubble in Iraq in my routine, keep mm. working out, keep meditating, all that kind of stuff. And it actually made, in my opinion, my integration easier than some of the guys do when they go back home to their wife and their kids and their family and mm. job and everything else, because it's right back into their old habits. I was in a new environment that mitigated habits. I couldn't just go out and party, you know, you had a, a sort of, uh, uh, ascetic monk, uh, version of integration. Yeah. In a sense, I, a I definitely, I definitely got a, a chance to do some asceticism out there, like just to, to extricate myself from things and dive into philosophy and research, because 
if you you guys have been on deployment, you know, there's not much to do except for like your job. And then after that, you have your free time to work out or to, you know, to watch a movie or to whatever mm -hmm. it is. Like you just got this, this short period of time after your job. So I could fill that with whatever I wanted to. And there was less distractions out there because there's not much to do. So right. I could meditate more. I could listen to, you know, podcasts or watch YouTube videos about philosophy or look into Buddhism or look into all types of different things, just trying to understand. And I listened to a lot of Alan Watts at that time, like really trying to, uh, because he was the first one that, that really kind of like through his words blew my mind. And the point was kind of speaking the same language that I had just experienced with ayahuasca. And then I also read Be Here Now for the first time out there by Ram Dass. And that that was also a game changer for me. Um, and so, yeah, going back out there was uh, was actually an easier choice than I thought it was. I The reason why I didn't even want to go back out there is because, again, I thought it represented something about me. Mm. And that was a falsehood because it didn't represent anything about me. It just was something that I was doing. And my attachment to the representation of that was what was actually holding me back from doing that work out there mm. yeah the idea of really what are you point. making it mean yes that's that's a common question that we get in you know really guiding anybody through a process of something that they're struggling with is you know more often than not i mean i would even venture as to say maybe even every time like the story that that they're telling themselves about what happened is actually the thing that's creating the block or the resistance or holding them back it's not the thing mm -hmm. right like but we as human beings like we're meaning making machines and so like we attach meaning to absolutely everything mm -hmm. and so it's like you know the work you know you mentioned something earlier that um that you know also sounded very similar where it's like you know yeah like what's the story that i'm telling about this more than anything right and so like that's where a lot of people get hung up on is is they don't understand like you're making this mean something mm -hmm. like that's that's the thing like it, it's not the the act itself or, or anything like that it's it's the simple fact that you're making it mean something especially when it's about yourself mm -hmm. like even when it comes to other people right like how many how many arguments do we get into because we assume that we know what someone's doing or what they meant by what they said or did and it's like you know if we can get to this place of understanding that you know what we're actually feeling or reacting to is is the, the meaning that we're giving to any of those particular situations. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy you brought that up because that's, that's a really huge concept that it, it's can be very difficult to grasp. Especially if you're not outside of it. If you, if you're still very identified with the storyline of your life that you're telling yourself, like, uh, and we all are, I mean, like you said, we're meaning making machines and we want, especially in Western culture, we want to, we want to validate our humanness by our work. So like, what's my purpose for being here? And I tell people all the time, your purpose is to be human, to breathe, to like be in this experience. Like you've done it. Congratulations. You're in your, you're in your purpose. But we in the Western world want like, no, I want my work to mean something. Like I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a functioning person unless I have a validating source of this work. And that needs to mean something. It needs to have like a, a bigger purpose in myself. And that's beautiful, but also maddening. Because, because eventually like you, what happens when you reach the top of that mountain? Yeah. Now yeah. what? And how many uh, uh, former Olympics, uh, Olympic athletes have depression, anxiety crisis after they win gold? Yeah. Yeah. How many of us after we leave the military have that, that experience? I mean, yeah, 
Uh, this has actually been really, as you're saying, that it's been really present for me lately as I've been explaining our work more, more, more detailed in more detailed way. Um, that the loss of identity, quote unquote, that happens on ayahuasca, on on for me, it was mushrooms, um, it, it, is actually your doorway to liberation. Mm -hmm. Like, go lose it. It's good. Like, let go of it. Mm -hmm. Because on the other side is what you find all the other opportunities for you to allow you yourself to be, to let your intuition lead you, to let your heart lead you rather than the things that you think that you are, the things that you've built up. Um, and there's a, there's a really, it's a really actually, now that I look at it, it's like such a blessing that you have an opportunity to go be in the military, do whatever it is you ended up doing, put a uniform on, become a thing, be a corporal, a sergeant or a captain or whatever. And then one day it's just over. Mm -hmm. And if you can lean in and for those of you out there who are sort of in that, the first couple of years of, of, um, out of the military, if you can lean into that sensation and, and not escape from it by trying to put on another mask and another identity, you can really, really find uh, who you can be and all that you are, mm -hmm. not just who am I meant to be, but rather completely like erase that out, put that out of the equation. You're not meant to be anything. Mm -hmm. Who are you actually, who are you in your fullest expression? And if this sounds woo woo to anybody, <laughs> trust me, this, this journey is, uh, you don't have to do ayahuasca necessarily to discover this thing. If you're mm -hmm. the kind of person who's willing to lean into that, unknown space which is just an uncomfortable space it's it's all spaces are unknown you're just feeling particular discomfort in this particular direction um, oh, so I appreciate man. That. that's uh that's really really true as far as i tell people all the time like especially psychonauts that are seeking ego death is what they as they call it mm. they really want really want to kill their ego and i tell them i was like you know man you experience ego death all the time uh -huh. like uh you're not the same person you were when you were 16 you're not, you're not the same person you were when you were in the military, right, you're the right. same person you were like, so somewhere along the lines, those, those identities had to either naturally fall off mm -hmm. or there was a drastic thing that completely changed your life and you, and you had a death so to speak. And those of us that are still transitioning out there who are listening to this, like you're going through an ego death, like a sense of mm -hmm. self. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can actually feel like you're really dying. Like whether you're in a psychedelic mm -hmm. state or not, like you can feel like the world is ending. I and used to I used to say that my I would feel like the world was falling beneath my feet and I was just like falling. That's what it <laughs> for me what it felt like, the sensation at least. Um and yeah, it's uh it's it definitely feels like that. And and just like I learned in the military, you got to get comfortable in the in the uncomfort. <laughs> you have to get comfortable in the unknown. And if you can, if you can learn to sleep in the dirt and be dirty and do these crazy deployments and everything else and talk about it, like you just walk to Walmart and back, like it's not a big deal, then we can learn to be able to cope with our emotional states as well in that uncomfortable space. Because like we have all the tools, we know how to, we know how to embrace the suck. We just, uh, no one ever taught us how to cope with our internal issues that mm -hmm. were going on. We, we always learn how to push them away or compartmentalize and put them in a box and deal with them later. So it's a, it's a matter of learning to like rest in the suck when it comes to yourself and not, uh, and not like push it away in a sense. Cause as we talked about earlier, even if you push something away, 
it's still got you. It's got you. <laughs> it's, even, yeah. it's got you even harder than like. Yeah. Embracing. Don't fight the suck. Accept the suck. Embrace the suck. Bring it in. <laughs> You're like, take me away, suck. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, and it's just really to me like the tool is acceptance. Like this is just how it is. This is how things are right now. Not argue with the universe and say like it shouldn't be this way. Well, it is. It is this way. Mm-hmm. You are feeling this way. You are having these experiences. This is what's going on. So what do you do about it? You sit with it. You don't have to do anything. You just got to let it take its course and, mm. and try and try to be as uh, gentle on yourself as possible. I mean, like mm-hmm. I'm in a depressed state, so I'm going to make sure that I don't hurt myself or others. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to just allow myself to get through this. Like if I need to sleep all day, I'll sleep all day. If I need to, you know, work out, I'll work out. But you, we all know those things that, that pull us deeper into depressions or deeper into sadness or anger. And they may feel good in the moment, but uh, soon afterwards, you're deeper in your hole. So it's like just a matter of pulling yourself out of that for a second, recognizing what state you're in, and then telling yourself like, hey, what can I do to, to make this as comfortable as an experience as possible? And I don't know if any of you all got tattoos. I'm, I'm sure you do. I have tattoos. Like it's, um, I tell this all the time, like anybody who's got a tattoo out there, you don't jerk away from the tattoo artist because it hurts. Oh, right. No, you just, you, and it, and it, and it hurts. Like, so you're like, okay, um, you drink I'm water and you breathe and relax into this. Yeah. I'm going to mm-hmm. listen to music. I'm going to do what I can to try to make this not at, to make sure I don't mess up the art. And that's how I try to look at my Ooh. suffering is my suffering is the art that is forming. And I don't want to mess it up by like jerking or resisting, but just allowing it and trying to relax into it. Mm. Uh, that was that was gold like you were speaking to me jared i know you were (laughs) you you brought up the tattoos and i'm like i'm uh, i would say i'm close to i don't know 40 percent covered i got two full sleeves half leg sleeve chest stern i've seen a face tattoo I'm not gonna do the face tattoo. I'm not gonna the rising out. warrior down around the. <laughs> no, oh no! <laughs> Finish your point, Sean. Yeah, and the reason why I bring that up is because, like, you know, as someone who's been, you know, had awareness around this type of stuff for several years now, and has like purposely like gone into those dark places, like I still experience that shit, and like, and, and to be honest, like I've been experiencing it recently, and mm-hmm. so like. I love that the way that you bring it up because it's so true. And like, you know, as, uh, as a coach or a guide or a mentor or however you want to you know label myself and, or in the work that we do, it's like, I understand that. And, and when I'm working with clients and other people, like I can communicate that and I see that, right. Like they're going through it and I see it. And I'm like, Oh man, if they would just like, you know, just, like you said, get that little bit more of an outside perspective and stop telling the stories around like they shouldn't be doing this or that it should be something else or that like this experience is, is bad or wrong. It's like, I see that. And then when I'm in it myself, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like it, it, it can be hard to see. And so like, yes. there's a lot of compassion that comes with that. And I love the idea, like uh, you're talking about like with a tattoo, cause it's so true. It's like, okay, this fucking hurts. Like, this is super uncomfortable. Like even with the numbing spray that they have now, like it still hurts. And like the, the way that you phrase that where it's like, yeah, like you don't want to jerk around because you don't want to fuck up the art. 
And so it's like, even just that simple reframe for me, I was like, oh my God, that's like, yeah, duh, this is part of my process. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it sucks right now. And I wish that I wasn't experiencing a lot of the things I'm experiencing or had the stories that I had or whatever. And like, even just in that moment, it was, it allowed me to take that step back and be like, oh fuck, like, yeah, duh, that, you know, like, you know that, like you can give yourself some grace. And that's the thing too. And, and I want to mention this as well is that when we talk about this type of stuff, it can be very easy to take it as like, oh, that means like suffering will end or like, I won't feel bad. And, and that's not necessarily true. It's like these experiences that we have as, as human beings is like, yeah, you're still going to feel shame and guilt mm-hmm. and anger and sadness. However, the story that you tell yourself about that experience, instead of it being like, I shouldn't feel this way or that, you know, shame is bad or anger is bad or whatever. It's, it's not that it's under, it's learning to understand that you're going to feel it no matter what. And so instead of it, instead of thinking that it's just going to go away, it's understanding like I'm here, this is happening. I'm, I can be with it. And I can drop the story about this being some bad thing. And, and I think that's where a lot of people uh, do experience that disconnect when we're, when people are trying to convey that message. And yet like they take that. And like I said, like my experience has been that you hear that and it's like, Oh, well then I'll just never have these experiences. It's like, no, like you learn to be with them more and they're still going to happen. I don't care how much work that you do yeah. on yourself or how many plant medicine ceremonies that you sit through or anything like that, like you're still a human fucking being and you're going to feel all the, the entire spectrum of emotions. Mm-hmm. And so it's like learning, like, you know, the practice becomes, or one of the practices becomes like learning to like gain awareness around when you're in one of those moments earlier. So that way you can give, I think ultimately at this point, it's like, give yourself that grace and compassion to understand, like to better be with it instead of trying to deny it or to push it away or to numb Mm -hmm. it out. Like you're saying. So yeah, super, super happy that you, that you brought that up because it's such a big thing that, you know, I I wish I could help people see that shit more Mm because like it can be life-changing and like, it's still going to happen. It's going to (laughs) continue to happen. Yeah. I feel like uh, the suffering in my life is, has been so much grace. Like when I'm, when, especially when it's far in the rear view, right. When I'm not like in the suffering, like I can look back at it and be like, man, I learned a ton about myself, man. I, I got a lot of wisdom out of that, out of that suffering that I went through. God, am I glad that period is over, but like it's uh, it, it was, you know, life-changing. So I try to see it as positively as I can, as it's art. And, and like you said, the, the trick is, is just to get some space from the identity that you have of being in the suffering. Like, uh, this is a technique that I use uh, for myself when it comes to when I'm dealing with anger, anger is a big one for me. I get frustrated and I get super angry about something. First, I have to recognize that I'm feeling anger, not that I'm angry because, or this is what's going on. Like, I just have to go, I have to catch myself in it and go, ah, there's anger. Anger's in the room with me. Not, not like uh, I'm feeling angry because this guy said this or I'm feeling angry. None of that. Like I just try to say I'm experiencing or feeling the emotion anger, like just that and not trying to dig into it too much or try to like really figure out why that's going on. Cause I can come up with a billion stories about why I'm pissed <laughs> off. Like, um, so I just try to tell myself, no, I'm feeling this and it's okay that I'm feeling this. It's just happening. Like a, like weather, it's just raining outside, man. Nothing to get upset about. It's just raining. So I, I look at it and say, I am, I'm feeling anger. And as soon as I do this and I really do finally get some space of like, here's me 
anger is now happening. Anger is an experience that's happening. Just like, oh, my heart's racing, you know, just recognizing that something's happening. I start to feel a little bit of space. And when that space comes, it doesn't go away. It doesn't make, it doesn't make the anger go away or the emotion go away. It just kind of loosens a bit. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not tightening so much. And then I kind of just keep doing that mantra of like, I'm feeling anger and it's okay. I'm feeling this, it's okay. Um, and it, it's just, I'm going to sit with this. And then eventually it starts to really loosen up and start to pass. Here's the hat trick though, is as soon as I start to feel it really, like I feel my, my blood starts to stop pumping so hard and the blood starts getting out of my head and I'm like really starting to calm down and get some space. I ask it to come back. I tell the anger, I tell anger, no, no, no. If you got more to tell me, come on, Mm. come on, bring it back, bring it right back to me. Cause when that happens is, and sometimes it gets worse. Sometimes I'm like, it really comes up and now I'm enraged and crying. I'm like, God, just so angry, but I'm still in that process in my head of a separate from the emotion. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, okay, you're going to, you're going to spray me with water, spray me with water, like surrendering to the process. Like, okay, let's have, let's just come on, bring it on. I can take it and do the same process over and over again. Just basically saying, here's me, here's anger. It's okay. You're doing great. Doing that self-soothing kind of stuff. And then eventually two or three times of this, I ask it to come back. It doesn't come back anymore. Um, And the next time anger comes, it's usually not about the same thing. I was angry about that time because it, I gave it its space. I'm not now. And now, and now if it does come up again, I can be like, Oh, well, maybe you have more to tell me. And I'm already more separated from it. I'm already more understanding that this is just a happening. It's not my fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's just a thing that's occurring. It's just a feeling I'm feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just something I try to do to help myself when I'm in those, when those emotions really Mm -hmm. take over my consciousness and I can't, and I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm trapped by them. They're like mountains falling on top of me and I can't do anything about it. I love that idea of separating yourself from the, from the emotion. Being what can you learn from it? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's trying to teach you something. Right. Yeah. Um, to go back to your journey. So you've, you, uh, did your first ayahuasca trip. You had all these lessons, these revelations to go back to Iraq to finish out your contract. How did you end up being a psychedelic, uh, integration coach at heroic hearts? Uh, and what is your work, uh, doing? What are you doing with your work now? Uh, so, uh, going back to Iraq was, um, like I said, not an easy concept for me. Cause I was still very attached to what does this mean for me? Like, what does that represent by myself? So I still went back kind of going like, well, this is just what I do anyways, but I did leave. I forgot to say at that last ceremony, I did leave with basically a three charge lesson from ayahuasca. She goes, if you want to, if you want to live right, you just need to live. You need to be with unconditional love unconditional trust and unconditional acceptance. So basically like trust everyone and everything at face value, no matter what, like by what you're seeing, by what you're experiencing, you know, love everybody unconditionally. And I don't mean like what we feel like in romantic love. Cause that's like, I, I love you specially, like you're special to me. So I love you more. I mean, like unconditional love is more like a state of being like you just, you just accept someone for being human. You don't want to hurt them. Like you don't, you don't punch the guy at the store that you've just met because you know, you have respect for him as a human being. Maybe you do. And you're that kind of guy. But I think like all of us have unconditional love just wired into us. 
So basically just dropping into that state, like just looking at people as people, like seeing them and loving them for having their own experience. Um, and then, you know, unconditional acceptance. And that comes from accepting the world as it is. Like whether I like it or not, whether I think that it needs to be different or not, like accepting other people for who they are, whether I think that I have judgment for them or a comparison or anything else. So unconditional love, unconditional acceptance and unconditional trust. So I went to Iraq with that charge in my head, like, okay, I'm going to go there and I'm going to use those things to my, to, to see if I can do it out there. If I can do it there, I can do it anywhere is what I told myself. Like mm. if I can do it in a war zone, I can do it in the States, like no problem. So I went out there and I was, I was glowing. I mean, like um, I, I was, everyone was saying this too, like, Jared, you are glowing. Like you are, you just look like a different person. Like um, I felt like I had light pouring out of my eyes. I was like, you know, it was very wild. Like, and I had never experienced it. And I was getting really high on all the compliments I was getting from people about like how much I had changed. And, and so I, but I was leaning into that. Like I was, I was vi like every person that I met, I was giving them my undivided attention. I was, I was really listening with not just my, not just with my head, but with my heart. Like my heart was very open, just so open because I was like hearing them for the first time. I wasn't just waiting to say my piece. I wasn't just trying to like relate or understand. I was just listening, listening to listen. And the conversations that I had with everyone out there, the interpreters, the, the Iraqi civilians, the, my team, my coworkers, all these other people started getting much deeper. We started having conversations about spirituality. We started having conversations about existence. We started having conversations about psychedelics. We started talking about all the stuff that really like, I never thought would be in an operator community that we would talk about. And guys would come to me and they'd want to have like a one-on-one -on -one talk with me about like, you know, love or about like my experience or like what I had learned or situations going on with a family at home and they needed some advice or any other stuff. So um, just to give you an example, like I, before I left, one of my main jobs out there was to train the Iraqi soldiers, uh, to go fight ISIS over in uh, Fallujah at that time. And, and so they, I would treat them like I was treated as a boot in the Marine Corps. So you're fucking stupid. You know what the hell you're doing. I can't believe you don't know how to read a map. Like you, like what the hell, like, you know, just treat them like shit. And, and then also in my mind, they were still less than me because the Marine Corps mentality of enemy, right? Like don't humanize the people that you potentially could be fighting. And in my mind, there was still a lot of green on blue happening out there where guys were like, you know, there were, there were embedded ISIS members that were shooting contractors and stuff. So I was always like ready to put one of these guys down if, if the need came. But when I got back from drinking ayahuasca, I didn't have any of that. I didn't have any of that separation. I saw them as people. I saw them as uh, just guys like me for that grew up in Iraq and are trying to do the best that they can. So I started having much more through my uh, interpreters with the soldiers. I started having much more compassionate conversations about training and they could really feel my compassion for them about saying, Hey guys, I want to train you. So that way you can stay alive. I want you to get the most out of this experience because I don't know if I'm ever going to see you again. And that, and I want you to get everything you can out of me because I want to get everything I can from my head into you. And they really opened up to me and they really showed me a lot of love. And they were even saying like, Oh, 
you should be a Muslim. Like, you're so good. You're like all this, all this stuff. You know, they were just, cause they wanted me to be a part of their, of their group, of their, of their tribe, you know? And I felt very privileged by that. And my interpreters, they would be bringing me food from home and they would be bringing me gifts and stuff. Like I got a, one of the, one of the interpreters actually bought me a little Buddha because he says like, man, you talk like Buddha. So here you go. Here's a, here's a little Buddha figure. And I was really like, whoa, an Iraqi, a Muslim giving me a, give me a, wow. Buddha, a Buddha figure. I thought that was really cool. Um, so this was just all around, like people, I felt mm. like I wanted to be around people and, and I assumed that they wanted to be around me too, because of that same feeling. It was like, I was, I was really seeing my reality change uh, drastically around me just by my mindset of those three things of like loving unconditionally, trusting unconditionally and accepting things unconditionally for how they were um, in that. Uh, in, and so that I think profoundly changed my, my whole life as far as like what I could do from that point. And I stayed out in Iraq for another nine months at that point. Like I was, I was out there doing that job, doing those things and integrating for like another nine months. And, and like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't as difficult with the integration because I was in my own little bubble. So I could, so I could really make sure that things were, I could keep myself on a, I stayed with the ayahuasca diet for months. Like I stayed with, uh, I stayed with drinking uh, nothing but water and kept working out. Guys were telling me, cause you know, the big thing out there was you got to get big and strong and stuff. <laughs> guys were telling me like, you're losing so much weight, man. What the hell? You gotta eat some meat. You gotta eat something like what the fuck, you know, like, but I was, I was feeling lighter and more and, and much more connected to something deeper in myself than like, uh, getting a big, big muscles and everything else at that point. So it didn't matter. I just was like, Oh, thanks. Thanks for noticing. Thanks for seeing me, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> so, uh, after about nine months, there was something in me that just realized that, um, that, you know, I didn't want to be in the fight anymore. Mm. Like I felt like I had finally did what I, what I set out to do when I first joined the Marine Corps was to be a part of this, this, uh, this mission that had occurred. And I, and I wanted to, and, and I realized that like, by me putting on this contracting uniform and being this guy in this other country, I wasn't exactly going to look for a fight, but I was actually announcing to anybody who wanted to fight. Hey, <laughs> you want to fight? Fight me. Hello. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm the guy you want to fight. Like come fight me. <laughs> look at this gun. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I didn't, I just didn't want to be that anymore. I was like, if it, it was like, mm. I don't want to, I don't want to even be unconsciously looking for fights. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't want to have to, to be in a situation that, uh, that was a part of my job to make a decision to end another person's life or not. I just didn't want to do that anymore. Like I was, and, and again, I didn't feel anything wrong about being a contractor or being in the military or doing any of the violent, uh, the, the combat arms industry, none of that stuff. I felt fine about it. I just was like, I'm done, you know, I'm done with this. Mm, That's really interesting. So even in the, the sort of rebellious, so we were talking about earlier about rebellion charging that after your ayahuasca experience in the in in that latter half of that contract it seems sounds like you integrated that experience of like yeah i don't hate any of this there's no like i'm not against anything any of this necessarily i'm just i'm just it's not for me anymore like i i want to mm-hmm. move on to something else it's kind of, it's really interesting because it um in the larger scope if you if we zoom out uh, for, for any veterans that are, um, this is even a conversation with myself, like against war or, um, against the way people get recruited even, or Mm -hmm. whatever, uh, to just go, yeah, Hey man, it is what it is. It's how it exists in the world right now. 
I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to, I'll take myself out of that situation and out of that equation and still come from a place of love and acceptance and be like, yeah, that's, that's how it is. And I choose to do, I choose to do differently, Yeah, which is a really empowering it. way to actually live rather than holding on to this like resentment. Yeah. And, and not trying to pull people into my belief systems. Mm, like not trying to get my team to do the same thing. Like you should leave this job with me, man. This is awful. Like none of that. I, I supported them and I still support any of those guys out there doing their job. Um, and, and they did, maybe they got recruited in nefarious ways. Maybe they're doing it because they had a broken home. Maybe they had all this other stuff, but as you for said, sure. man, it, it just is the way it is. It just is. Yeah. Like, and, and if it wasn't for the, the, the place that I was in my life, I wouldn't be who I am. So, I mean, like, who am I to deny anybody that kind of stuff? And I got, and like I said before, I've gotten so much out of the suffering in my life and yeah, I'm God, I'm glad it's over. But like, um, during those really rough points, I've been able to help more people in my life now because of the lessons I've learned from that point. Like I try to remember now that the suffering I'm going through is not just for me. It's so when another one of my friends calls me up and says, Hey, Jared, I'm going through this situation. I'll be like, dude, I just went through this, you know, and this is, this is how I got through it. Like, this is, this is how I'm still getting through it or whatever the situation. And, and I tell them that too, like, when you get through this, you're going to help somebody else. And sure enough, months later down the road, they tell me, wow, man, somebody just called me up and is going through something similar and I helped them. So it's, Mm. we're we're all connected, you know, in this. And if we, and so I I try to remember that, like what I'm going through is not just for me and it is, but it isn't because it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm much bigger. This experience is much bigger than just Jared's egoic singular experience. Like I'm now talking to you guys, never met you guys before in my life, but like the words Mm. I'm saying are now resonating in you. And then maybe you'll talk about it later or this and that. And same with you, like he's talking to me. It's, it's just we're connected in all different types of ways. So um, after Iraq, I went through another, oh shit, what am I going to do? Like now, who am I? If I'm not a contractor, (laughs) if I'm not, if I'm not a, if I'm not this guy, then now who am I? Mm. Um, So I didn't really know what to do. So I actually was like, well, um, I got out a lot of, a lot out of my ayahuasca experience. So I'm going to see about uh, going to the center that I went to for ayahuasca and I knew they had, they take volunteer uh, facilitators. And I was like, well, I was still friends with one of the guys who was one of my facilitators out there. His name is Lee. I love you, Lee, if you're listening. Um, He, um, and he was a lead facilitator and I was like, Hey man, I really like to go out there and facilitate. And he asked me why. And I said, because I just want to help people. Like if, if anybody, and I said specifically, if there's any veterans like myself, that went out there. And I'll tell you, when I first got to that center, I saw a bunch of flower loving, peacekeeping hippies coming right off of, a, of, of an Iraq deployment, like Iraq contract with a bunch of meat eating like savages. <laughs> and, and like, and these guys were all talking about like no war and love. And I was like, mm. these people are full of shit. <laughs> I was like, these people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like they and the funny thing was that later I recognized that they were actually legit. Like they all had gone through their own shit in their life and all this other stuff. But like, I was so pushed away by that. Mm. So in my mind, I was like, I want, I want, if, if there's another veteran that's coming there, like me, I want to be there for them. Mm. Like, so I already had like this charge of like, I wanted to help other vets go through this or other people, not even just vets, but people like myself 
who were put off by the whole hippie vibe. We're just like that didn't, I didn't really buy into it, even though I was already starting to turn into one myself with meditating and mantra and all this other stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was one with a gun, so it made more sense to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like I, so I, so I volunteered down there and um, through that answer saying I wanted to help people, he says, well, absolutely, you can come out. So I went down and started working with uh, Shipibo Kiranderos, learning how to facilitate ayahuasca ceremonies and basically help the shamans during these ceremonies and changing puke buckets and holding people while they cry. And, you know, like really, really being there for people and and doing my part of trying to help them, you know, clean up their act and help them go through their process. And that was obviously profoundly life-changing for me, like just being able to, to hold space for other people and not try to, to manipulate it or change it, just allow them their own process uh, and I did that for 11 months. I was out and I, I lived in Peru for 11 months um, and, and wow. lived with the Shipibo tribe out there. And then um, the last month I was in Peru, I was invited to this uh, documentary about veterans in ayahuasca. I, the documentary has not come out yet, but it's called uh, Ayahuasca Now. I have no idea if and when it's ever going to come out. It's been years. So um, mm. I, hope, I hope it does come out because it should be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is where I met. Uh, the two most and in, two most influential people in my life is that was at that place. And, and I met my girlfriend, who's also the love of my life slash soulmate. I've lived with her now in Missouri for almost five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met Jesse, who is the founder of Heroic Hearts Project. And I had no idea at that time that there was a thing called integration coaches, by the way, I was like, what the hell is an integration coach? Like, don't you just do that on your own? Like, you're just supposed to integrate. Like, that's just how it goes. <laughs> Um, yeah, a lot of and, people do. Yeah. And, and that's what I did. Like, I was like, I didn't have mm-hmm. any coaching. Like no one told me how to get through this or how to prepare. I just had to figure it out. Like, isn't that, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And um, you can nothing wrong with it. Like, uh, but some people want some help and, and, you know, so I, uh, for about a year after I drank, after I got back from the jungle, I, uh, I went to college, dropped out of college. It just wasn't my thing. It was very hard for me to continue on with it. Um, especially because I didn't know what degree I wanted to have. I just was kind of doing it to fill some space. I didn't really want to go back to the world of working. Um, and then, um, it, it, that was hard for me, like going back from being in the military and then all of a sudden like having these, um, having like bouncing jobs and a bunch of other, like, you know, high, high stakes kind of work and then going as a contractor and then living in the jungle, this crazy story, right? Big ego blow up. Like who this guy is awesome. Like I've been through this whole thing. And now I had to go back and find a job with no college degree and, you know, just being a grunt. And so I was like, Oh man, well, I don't want to go. I don't want to do that. So I went to college, try to, and try to figure out that didn't work out. So um, I moved in with my girlfriend in Missouri. And then eventually I started washing dishes at a high school and I started working at the Lazy Boy factory, uh, building chairs. I did that for a couple of years. And while that process was going on, I got a call from Jesse in 2018. And he says, hey, man, would you like to be an integration coach? And again, I was like, what is an integration coach? Um, and he's like, well, it's basically like um, a counselor or a coach that someone helps with that, with helps the vets prepare slash integrate back home. And I was like, Oh yeah, I think I could do that, which I was already doing anyways, because people that would have psychedelic experiences would call me up and be like, Jared, what does this mean? (laughs) What's going on? Like my whole life has changed now because I did this thing. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, so I was already doing it naturally. And I was like, okay, yeah. So he sent me to this course, um, uh, a coaching course called being true to you. 
And that was about 18. It was, it was a long course. It was basically a college course. And um, I got certified through them. And then he kind of threw me to the wolves. He's like, here you go, man, start, start doing that. I was the first integration coach with them. And, wow. um, and so like, and it, and I say threw me to the wolves. It was really like, okay, here we go. But again, me being in Iraq, trying to integrate my experiences with operators already gave me a, a plethora of analogies and ways of bridging mm. this communication to the combat arms guys to like operators the perfect in the guy for that for that yeah job. so i think it was it, it, looking back on it now it was like a perfect fit and i didn't ever ask for it it just kind of mm -hmm. happened and and so i was still working at lazy boy i was still washing dishes i'm still doing those extra like the job i didn't really want to do while i'm doing the coaching because most of it especially when her cars was first getting started was just mm -hmm. pro bono work i was just doing it to help like i didn't care didn't mm -hmm. care if i made money or not i just wanted to help and I later realized that I'm still facilitating ayahuasca, just not at the center. I'm doing it, you know, from my mm. computer screen. So I'm still facilitating the process in one way or the other. So it's kind of like, I never really got away from the medicine. It just wants to me to work here instead of there. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So uh, since 2018, my coaching practice has kind of grown a bit and now I'm doing it full time. I have some time where I'm making an okay amount of money to pay bills. And there's other times when I got to, you know, dip into my credit card and pay my bills that way. And then hopefully get some clients and here and there. But, mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've gotten a point now where I can float. I can float with my, with my coaching practice mm -hmm. and, and Hero Cards is really starting to take off as far as uh, getting well-known out there. People are starting to hear about it. So we have no lack in amount of vets that want to go. Our mm -hmm. wait list is huge. The issue we have is money because we don't have enough support to be able to pay for all these guys right. to go and uh, awareness to it is starting to grow. So now like this year, our main, our main focus is to like really breathe, like jump out into the veteran community more, like really get involved with more veteran community stuff to really like let them know this is an option mm -hmm. and hopefully like get some people who like that feel moved by our mission to help donate, to help, to help this process because hundred percent of the money that we, that, that goes to in hero carts goes to supporting vets with these medicines, with this, with this healing medicine that like is life-saving, saved mm -hmm. my life, saved a lot of other guys' lives. People have gone with some really, really bad depression and come back very uh, changed and altered in ways that um, I don't know how it works. It just works. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're still learning in that process about now, maybe the how, but we don't know. And so now I'm, I'm to have a private coaching practice um, and I coach not just veterans, but really anybody who's looking to better themselves or heal with psychedelic medicines. I, I, I don't want to work with people who are not in the, in the field of wanting to not heal. They're just like, I want to try this thing. How do I go through it? <laughs> if you're, if you're yeah. looking for healing or life-changing, uh, I'm the coach that can help you get through it. If you're looking for someone to help guide you through it. Um, and then, uh, my primary job is working with Royal carts and being lead integration coach. And now, now I have a team of coaches who are all primarily veterans who have gone through our program and became coaches through their experience. Like, man, I really want to help and keep going. Yeah. So they are now, now I have all types. We got, we got Navy SEALs, we got army Rangers, we got Marines, we got, uh, all types of different guys and girls, uh, who are who are our veteran coaches who are on my team and they're amazing. And now we just kind of spread load when we have a, a ceremonies coming up and we, and we work together. It's, it's been phenomenal. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So it's really only been 
four years or so since you've been doing this? Yeah, it's still wow. it's still pretty. We're still getting our sea legs in a sense. We're still trying to <laughs> yeah. still trying to get this going, but we're riding that wave of the psychedelic um, the psychedelic movement that's kind of happening in the country right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, as you guys know, with a veteran mm-hmm. podcast, like it's it's starting to become known in the veteran community about psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's still on the edges of our community, but it's becoming more more of a conversation. And and I think that's the more of us that uh, that get a good effect from it and not just like, yeah, I took mushrooms with my friend and it was a weird experience. Um, mm-hmm. right, you know, and right. I say this because like you can have an experience with mushrooms where you're like not expecting an ego death and this big thing to happen. Yep, and it, you can have that. Boom. But if you, but if you go into it with the intention of healing, you're going to get a mm-hmm. huge experience out of it. And it's not going to be, it's not going to be the same as taking mushrooms with your friends, anything else. Cause like I said, I had done a lot of psychedelics before I did ayahuasca, but ayahuasca was the first psychedelic I ever went to with the intention of changing with the intention of healing myself. And that, that changed everything because when I took mushroom for the first time, I was like, I just want to see what this is like. And then Mm -hmm. all I did for integration afterwards, if someone asked me about it, I'd be like, I got really messed up that night and I saw some weird colors and stuff. I don't know what to make of it, but it was weird. It was mushrooms. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's how I'd put it. And, um, and, and so like, that was how I integrated as opposed to like really diving into it with journaling and meditation and a bunch of stuff to really like sink into what was that? What just happened? Where, where was I in that? Like all these questions that I could have been asking myself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. That's a, it been a journey for you. Uh, yeah. how, how, how big is that wait list? Just to just throw out a, a general we're a, number. We're a little over 500 now. Wow. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> we've, we've got a small podcast still, but if, if this gets out there and people start listening to, uh, how many have we done so far in the series? Seven, six or seven? Um, nine. Eight, nine. Something like that. It's quite a few ayahuasca journeys, or at least uh, interviews. Uh, definitely looking to expand this network and to see what other resources are, are out there, including Heroic Hearts. Um, and then people who are interested, I imagine, can go to your website, uh, Heroic Hearts, and donate. Um, yeah, they can donate on our website. Um, there's also there's lots of ways to donate, and, and you can be directed from our website, uh, heroicheartsproject.org. And um, uh, for anybody who may be listening who's on our wait list, I always say this is that like we will get to you. I promise. It's not it's not like a, a forever thing. Like it could be just random at any point. Just keep checking your email. We do send out emails to everyone on our wait list. Some people might not be getting these emails, and that's because it's in their junk folder. So it's like, if you, if you are on our wait list, just keep checking those emails because we send out things going like, Hey, we got this retreat coming up. Are you available? And if you, you know, reach out to us, uh, we will, we will contact you and we'll start the vetting process. And that's and the vetting process is just the first step. We just want to make sure that you're like where you're at with your medications, how your, how your mental mm-hmm. health is, or do you have a passport? Are you vaccinated? Like all this stuff, just to make sure you're good for travel and for this experience itself. And, and, and then after that, it's pretty simple. Like you just kind of wait a little bit longer and then you're, you're in the show. You're on, you're on, you're on the way. So it's, it's just, mm-hmm. and I promise we're, we're not, we haven't forgot about you. It's just one of those things that we're, we're working on diligently trying to get as much of this as possible. Our goal is to be running two or three of these uh, retreats a, like every month uh, to catch up. Wow. Um, we're just, we're just not there yet financially. 
and uh, we got some, we got some, hopefully some, uh, some big donors coming this year. So maybe that could start changing. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's awesome, uh, man. Jared, thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. You, you led us on a great journey. Uh, you already, you've already told us where to reach heroic hearts. Uh, where can people find you specifically? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on, uh, on Facebook. You can also find me on my webpage, which is there's like, uh, just, you basically email me to get a hold of me. Um, you can, and that, that webpage is just jaredreinhardt.com. If you, uh, and that's just right for my primary coaching. So if you're looking for a coach, that's a good way to get a holding, go to hold of me. Um, and if you're looking for a coach, that's not me. I have also a, a plethora of coaches that you can get a hold of that, uh, that might work well with you. So, um, I'm available. Cool. Jared, thanks again. Really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. 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 The, the, a lot of the information that you shared has been of the utmost value. And, you know, as someone who does very similar work in, in integration and coaching in general, and, and I've sat uh, through several ayahuasca ceremonies myself, and um, I just want to acknowledge like the way that you showed up and, and everything that you spoke about, because that is one thing that I have found to be not as common, right? A lot of people, like you said, they jump into psychedelics and it's like, oh, okay, I had this crazy experience and they, they really leave it at that. And so not only, you know, thank you again for sharing what you shared and also like, it, like I said, as an acknowledgement of like how grounded you, like you felt in, in delivering that message. And so, yeah, it, just keep doing what you're doing. And again, thank you. This is, this has been amazing. Appreciate it, man. Thank you.